Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Good evening, everyone. I hope you are ready to go back to ashes. For returning to the ashes, you will arise a better, stronger. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. And happier person in the morning. Let's get started with your nightly dose of Slumberland Medicine. Here are eight true Let's Not Meet stories. All right, I spent my entire slow day at work thinking about this, so now I want to share my little story. My childhood best friend, Marie, and I were around 11 or 12 years old at the time. Marie's family had their own campsite in a provincial park about two hours from our hometown and would spend the entire summer each year living in their camper out there. This particular summer, I was able to go and stay with them for a week and we were excited to spend our time adventuring around the forest. On the last night that I was there, we decided we wanted to hurry down to the ice cream shop by the lake before it closed. 
It was early evening at this point, still pretty bright out, but beginning to lose light. The path we took was down a short slope right next to the main road, with maybe 10 feet of thick brush and trees in between. On the other side was the forest, with more tall, thick brush. So we were walking along, not seeing a single other person on the path in front or behind us. We hear a sudden rustling and snapping of branches, similar to the sound of maybe a deer moving through the woods. I wouldn't have thought anything of it, but then the sound of running footsteps follows. Marie glances back and suddenly grabs my arm, urging me under her breath not to look back. At the same time, the running stops. I don't know why I didn't ignore her, and gotta look for myself. I guess I could sense the very real fear in her voice and chose to listen. We both start to panic, getting that feeling like when you're running up the stairs after turning the basement light off. We pick up speed as much as we can without breaking into a sprint, knowing the ice cream shop is only about a minute walk away at this point. The path soon breaks and we are in the parking lot. Suddenly, Marie steers me hard to the left, heading towards the lake and the boat rental instead of continuing straight to the ice cream shop and I go along with it silently, understanding ice cream is no longer in interest right now. Marie is clearly panicking at this point. We are both looking around, but it seems whatever scared her is nowhere in sight at this point. Marie walks up to the boat rental and gets us a kayak, and we climb in and begin to paddle out into the middle of the lake. As we paddle, She tells me that there was a man behind us, and that the man had stopped running at us very abruptly upon making eye contact with her. He had been wearing a long black coat with the hood up, despite it being the middle of July. He had a terrible smirk on his face, and she swore that he stopped running when she saw him put something shiny away in his coat. He appeared to have just emerged out of the brush after we walked past, given the sounds we heard right before he came running onto the path. We reach the center of the lake and stop paddling. I pull out my Nokia brick phone that my parents had, thank God, given me just in case. I hand it to Marie and tell her to call her parents to come pick us up. As the phone rings, I see her look out past me to the shore and go pale lifting a hand to point to what she's seeing. I turned, and there was the man stalking his way around the path that circled the edge of the lake, staring right at us. We sat in the middle of the lake and watched him do two full laps, never looking away from us, before finally disappearing. It took a few tries to get a hold of her family. We were freaking out so bad the whole time, as the sun got lower and lower. We did manage to have someone come out with the truck, but by the time we reached the shore, it was pretty dark outside. I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't been able to call for a ride. Looking back, I don't know why we didn't just go up to the ice cream shop and inform an adult there and ask her parents to come get us then. 
but it all worked out. We got back safe, and we thankfully never saw that man again. This was very recent, six days ago to be exact. I'm a huge fan of hiking or just simply taking walks in the woods. The only time I go alone is when I am in the woods I live near. This day, I was not. I was with my friend Lars in a walk about three hours from my house. We were planning on traveling around and staying at motels in the meantime. That day, we decided to take a walk in a popular area for people who like to walk in the woods like me. The catch was that this woods was freaking huge. Not really bad to us, though. We were thrilled. There wasn't much. It was pretty. We escaped the crowd, but every now and then, we would see someone walking by. We walked for a while until we got to this spot. Not too different from the rest, except for one thing. Nobody was around in the section. That's why me and Lars took this turn. The other turn had a bit of people. After a while of walking down this path, we spotted a man. A naked man. We gave each other the look and turned around. The man was slightly off path, bent over, and looking at something. As me and Lars were walking back, talking about the strange man, I heard a voice behind me. I turned to see the man. He was talking to us about the bug he picked up. I got a good look at him. He was a bit tall, nothing crazy. Bald with a few brown hairs beginning to grow, but completely naked. I flashed the man a smile and sped up. We got out of that place as fast as we could. Once we got to the car, we kinda laughed. Yes, it was creepy, but more weirdly funny. The car ride was nothing, so skip to the motel. As we are checking in the motel, we see the man walk in. He was a bit hard to recognize considering the fact that now he had clothes on. Just torn up clothes. He waited behind us in line. Good thing we were almost done checking in because, as soon as we did, we went right to our room and locked it with no thought. Now it was definitely creepy. Was he following us or was it a coincidence? We both decided we weren't going to stay at this hotel for more than a night. Hell, I don't want to stay one night if it weren't for Lars telling me it's going to be okay. That night, Lars wanted to go outside for a cigarette. I don't smoke, but no way I was going to stay in this room alone. I followed him outside and we talked for a bit. After a few minutes, I see the guy walk out of the doors. Lars put out his cigarette and began to walk inside. But before we got in... The guy pulled out what was probably a knife or something else sharp. It was dark, I could barely see, and started carving through his sleeve and right at his arm. I saw liquid trickling to the ground and immediately knew it was blood. 
I rushed into the lobby, and Lars got the idea and followed. We alerted the staff, but by the time they got someone to come out, he was gone. To this day, I still have so many questions. Did he follow us? Why was he naked? Why was he doing that to himself? I will probably never know the answer, but honestly, I am still spooked. I don't know what I will do if I see him again, but I hope I don't have to think about it. So, I'm a 28-year-old woman, and this happened to me when I was 13. I'm an adult now, and still kind of traumatized. For a little context, at 13, I transferred schools because of lack of money. The school I went to was cheaper. It was a private school because, where I lived, the public ones kind of sucked. I didn't have any friends for at least the first couple of months. I started noticing this boy, Victor. He was always staring at me during classes, in the hallways by the window, and at lunch. It was an everyday thing, but I didn't care because as a kid, I only thought of stupid stuff like dolls or whatever. Oh, and one more thing. I was flat as a table back then, so totally looked like a small child. The girls in my class started saying that Victor had a crush on me, which creeped me the hell out, because he was 18. I was creeped out, but still didn't care, as long as he didn't approach me or anything. But things escalated quickly. Victor would follow me home every day. Thank God I moved since then and he doesn't know where I live anymore. The most annoying thing, however, was that he constantly asked his friends to try to talk to me and try to convince me to go out with him and make out with him after school. These talks would usually take about 30 minutes of them trying so hard to convince me to agree with this, while Victor was behind them watching the conversation like a freak. Obviously, I rejected him all the time, but... Being the nice guy that he said he was, he spread rumors about us making out anyway. Nobody believed anyway because he was such a weird guy, and the whole school knew it. The final straw was when our school had a trip to a book fair. I was super excited. At this point, I had made a couple of friends. On our way to this fair, I was on the bus with my friend, and Victor was on three seats behind us, and I could feel his eyes on me the whole way. Out of nowhere, he came and asked for my friend's cell phone, and she gave it to him. So stupid of her. He returned her cell phone not even two minutes after. She checked the cell phone and showed me he had taken a bunch of photos of me. I guess this was his way of saying that he had already done this at some point. She got so pissed and went to talk to him. When she returned, she said the creepiest thing I've heard in my life. She said this with a very scared face. He said to me that when you least expect it, he will push you into a bathroom and sexually assault you. Today. 
the only thing that went through my mind was, what should I do now? I looked at him, and he gave me a creepy smile. After this, I spent the whole day looking behind my back, not leaving the sight of my teacher. She didn't even understand why I didn't want to walk around at the fair. I was in alert mode all the time, and thank God nothing happened. When I came home, I cried to my mom like a baby. This was at the end of the year, and thankfully I switched schools again. I told this to my mom last year, and she was like, yeah, it happens. It happened to me too when I was your age. So shocked about how this is such a common thing. I'm now 28, and I still see Victor on the streets. He has followed me around a few times. I always walk in circles until I lose him, but sometimes he waits for me outside the stores or restaurants. I think about what would have happened to me at the book fair if I hadn't had my teacher next to me the whole time, and I wondered if one day he'll do something or just keep up this creepy behavior. I've been debating about whether to post this or not, but I finally decided that it's been long enough for me to talk about this. This happened to me and my mom a few months ago, back in October. It happened in a very rural part of New Hampshire, like a side road on a side road type of neighborhood. It was pouring rain out, as it had been raining for pretty much the whole day. My mom had just gotten back from down the street in my sister's car, and I was on the couch in the living room when suddenly I heard the doorbell. Our front door has a big glass pane in the front, so we can look out from the inside, and someone can look in from the outside. Through this window pane, I see a man. I didn't get a great look at him, as I didn't have my long-distance glasses on. The man noticed that I had seen him and waved as if trying to be friendly. For the rest of this post, I'll refer to him as Poncho Man. I got up and thought about opening the door for Poncho Man, but relented. As I couldn't properly see who it was, I didn't want to let a stranger into the house. Instead, I went down the hall to my parents' bedroom, where my mom was getting ready for work. She asked what was up, and I explained to her that a man in a poncho was outside our door and wanted to talk to us. She went as white as a ghost. Immediately, she stopped getting ready, closed and locked the bedroom door, and started checking the windows to make sure they were locked. I asked her what was going on, My mom explained that as she was driving home, she had seen the poncho man. He had been standing, motionless, on the side of the main street. As soon as my mom turned down our road, he started to walk, presumably to follow her. She said the encounter was weird, but thought nothing more of it. Why would someone be out in the pouring rain, down a back road in the afternoon? It was like he was waiting for something. I started to panic as well. My mom called my aunt, 
the two are like best friends, and ask what she should do. My aunt told her to call the police immediately, and so we did. We proceeded to pace around the bedroom, frantically looking out the windows to see if we could see Poncho Man. From where the bedroom was angled, it was impossible to look at the front porch and see if he was still there, but we were desperate for anything. After what felt like hours, we finally saw a police car pull up. We carefully unlocked the door and went down to let the officer in. We explained what we saw and he agreed to do a scan around the neighborhood. As he left, I noticed there was something on the doorknob. I took it off, and it was a political ad for a candidate that was running for office. It's possible Poncho Man was just campaigning for the candidate, but there are a lot of holes in that story. It was pouring out, so why would you go door to door? And why would you go that route in such a royal neighborhood? The houses are so far apart, you'd barely make a dent on foot. The time doesn't make sense either. Sure, I and my mom were home, but it was about four in the afternoon. Most people would still be at work, so you'd probably get no response from knocking anyway. Eventually, the officer returned. He had found the guy down the road and had questioned him. Poncho Man was able to ID himself, and he claimed that he was a political campaigner and was just knocking on doors for that reason. When probed further, conventionally enough, Poncho Man couldn't provide any other door signs, as the one he had left on our house was the last one. That makes the campaign story even more absurd. Our house is in the middle of the street. It's not like we were the last by any means. So why wouldn't you bring enough for the whole street? Even the officer pointed this out to us and said that it was unusual behavior. Although the officer was suspicious of him, there wasn't anything he could do about it, as there was no way to prove intent. He told us to be alert and do not hesitate to call if Poncho Man returns. Fast forward a few weeks and I start noticing that a police car seems to be permanently stationed down the road from us, about a three minute drive. I got curious and asked my mom about it and she said that there were multiple break-ins into the houses down the road and the police were doing a sort of sting operation. The Poncho Man encounter and the break-ins may be unrelated, but considering how Poncho Man acted, I have a sinking feeling that they are connected. Thankfully, for the past few months, we've heard and seen nothing of Poncho Man. We got a new doorbell system with a camera, and the police left the area where they were doing the sting. I hope that this whole situation is over and done with, and that I never have to meet Poncho Man again. Back in 2013, I had just started on an education, and after the first school period, I had to find an internship to be able to progress, but at the same time, it proved to be almost impossible to get one. So, while I was looking, 
I decided to take another job just to make sure we had food on the table. After searching for a while, I found out a friend of my fiancé's family had his own handicap bus company, a kind of taxi service for wheelchair users or otherwise disabled people, and he needed someone to cover the night shift since it was a bus that had to be on call at least 22 hours a day. Seeing that I'm quite the night owl, I immediately told him that I'd be happy to take the job, and after I got the needed license, I was hired. The job was pretty basic. Pick up people and drop them off where they needed to go, and sometimes use a machine to get wheelchairs up or down some stairs. And when there was no trips, I drove to a designated area and did whatever while waiting. I quickly found a truck stop in the area where I could park and catch some Z's while waiting. There was a gas station where I could buy coffee in the early hours of the shift. And on the other side of the gas station's parking lot, on the opposite side of the truck stop, there was a run-down restaurant with a motel connected to it. To not disturb the sleeping truckers if I got a trip in the middle of the night, I usually parked on the restaurant side. After parking there every night for a while, I noticed one particular room had a lot of people come and go. In the beginning, I thought nothing of it. But then, one night, in the end of the summer, while I was half asleep with the window slightly open, I suddenly heard yelling coming from the motel, and a dude came tumbling out of the room and started running. And a few seconds later, a big dude came running after him with something in his hand. I could not make out what it was. I thought it was none of my business and went back to my half-sleeping waiting stage. Not much time passed and my phone went off. I had a trip an hour away so I turned on the bus and was leaving the parking lot when I saw the big guy coming around the corner. The rest of the night, I had back-to-back trips so I didn't park until I got home. The day after, I didn't get a return to home zone until 2 or 3 a.m. When I arrived at the parking lot, the area where I used to park had fist-sized rocks strewn all over the place. Not connecting the dots at the time, I just parked a few spots over and started waiting. I fell asleep pretty fast, but was jerked back into reality when a car right in front of my bus honked its horn flashed the high beams and revved its engine. I thought it was just some idiot who noticed me sleeping and found it funny trying to make me shit myself. So I jumped out of the bus about to tell him to go F himself. But instead of driving off or stopping the driver, made the start brake thing with a car indicating that I was the one who should F off. And then I connected the dots. Not wanting to seem like a pushover, I stood still and stared at the car. Not that I could actually see anything with the high beams almost blinding me. And after what seemed like a really long time, but must have not been more than 30 seconds, the car drove off. After that, I decided to park near the trucks from then on. A month or so had passed, and nothing had happened since the car episode. 
and I figured that nothing more would happen if I just kept parking by the trucks. Then, one night, I had a long 12-hour shift on a Sunday, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and I didn't have time to eat dinner before work that day. And during the first half of my shift, I had back-to-back trips with no time to eat. So, when I got a return to home zone, I quickly parked in the far end of the almost empty truck stop and got ready to eat my now very late dinner that my fiancé packed for me. I wanted to watch some TV on my phone while eating, so I sat with my back against the driver's side door and got comfy. While turning my back to the door, I had accidentally hit the door lock with my elbow. But that was my luck. As I was sitting there scrolling Netflix on my phone, I suddenly felt the bus rock and heard the clack of the door handle behind me smack back into position. I quickly turned and saw a dude with a hood over his head quickly crouching and proceeding to lay down on the ground and crawl under the bus. He had a really big kitchen knife in his right hand. I quickly got up and made sure the other two doors were locked and then I looked in all directions to see if I could spot him. He was still under the bus and I was sure as hell not jumping out this time since the knife made his intentions pretty clear. I turned on the engine, turned on the spots on the back of the bus and looked around to see if I had scared him off and lucky for me, it did. I saw him run off and into a bushy, woody area at the end of the truck stop. I never parked at that truck stop again after that night and I made sure all doors were locked every time I was parked. So a quick detail before everything starts. This takes place during my mid-twenties, and at the time, I didn't know I had cyclothymia, so I didn't know how to regulate my mind, and my life was quite an emotional mess. It was the summer of 2020. I was back in town after a long while, At the time, I was living at my grandmother's apartment, work-related reasons, which was in the worst part of town. My friend was living ten minutes from my grandmother's place, so I was used to seeing him often. We used to play video games, have long talks about life and the future, and smoke pot. Usual best friend stuff. That night, though, as I thought about going home around two in the morning... My friend told me he had the end of a whiskey bottle, and we could drink a glass to enjoy my return to town. We rolled up two cigarettes, poured two glasses, and went walking into the night around the lot in a park, and just continued our discussion. As we were talking outside under a street lamp, we saw a car with a bunch of guys. They drove past the street, but we didn't think much about it. It was just a car passing by. After the glass and a cigarette, we decided to go back to the apartment. On the way, we saw two or three guys in the street passing us. One of them exclaimed, That's them, but seemed to look away behind us. Again, we didn't think too much and continued to walk. When we arrived, my friend said I could stay on the couch for the night because it was pretty late. 
but I knew I would be home in 10 minutes by bike, which is a rented city bike, important for later. Plus, I didn't want to bother his roommate, so I said no. I added that I was used to doing this, so there was no problem, and he shouldn't worry. Boy, was I wrong. I packed my stuff, said goodbye to my friend, put on my headset, and rode towards my grandma's place. After one minute, I saw a sketchy guy on the road. I just put some distance between us, and that was it. I turned to take the usual shortcut, a narrow path with a big rock at the entrance to avoid cars to borrow the street. But this time, there was a car stopped right there, all doors open and engine on. Now, it didn't surprise me too much because there were a lot of these in the neighborhood. Silly as I was, I just assumed it was the way these groups hung out together, smoking pot, music blasting out these open cars. It was something I was used to seeing every night in the environment I was living in at the time. Thing is, the path being too narrow, I couldn't just pass by speeding on my bike, so I got off the bike and started walking by, only to jump back a few meters further and ride again. When I was a few meters away from the car, a man appeared from the complete darkness with a disturbing grin on his face. I realized there was at least three other guys behind me, just standing there, watching. The guy came just in front of me, squeezing my front wheel between his legs, silent, staring at me with his disturbing smile. My brain was on high alert, but I was feeling slow and hazy because of the substances I had in my system. I rolled the bike back and started to turn back, saying something like, Okay, I got it. In the middle of my turn, the man repeated himself, squeezing the wheel again. Suddenly, he grabbed the back of my neck with his hand, forcing me to lean down. Now I knew I was in a real shitty situation. He was making fun of me, saying to his friends, Oh, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do now? And laughing. Just so you know how this is, hilariously stupid, people usually say I look like a nice and chill guy, and I got round glasses. That guy was rather muscular, shirtless, and full of bad hash and cocaine. At some point, I managed to free myself from his grip and took a few steps back and turned. I was now facing back to him, and that's when he threw a punch on the side of my head white flash. I fell on the ground head first, and then on my back. I was hyperventilating and in a state of shock. He started to search my pockets and bag. He took my phone, headset, papers, everything I had on me. I heard the voice of a girl saying, Enough. Leave him alone. But... He didn't pay attention as he was going through my papers. She obviously knew him and was part of the group. Lying down on the road, I was paralyzed with fear. I remember I was afraid to draw attention to me if I tried to stand up. 
Also, I was afraid he would just beat me up and break my arms and legs, or roll me over if they decided to go, as the scene took place just near the back of the car. But, apparently, more interested in my belongings, I decided to stand up. The girl standing near the guy looked at me and said, You need to go. Now. So, I took my bike and started to walk away. The other guys were around, watching in complete silence. Suddenly, I heard the man screaming, I'm gonna kill you, you little B-word. Terrified, I threw the bike and started to sprint toward my friend's flat. I heard him run behind me on almost the whole street before he gave up. I never ran that fast, even in sports class. I knocked at my friend's door. I couldn't breathe. He opened the door, pulled me in, sat me down, and called the police. He gave me a big, huge glass of water. I woke up his roommate. He appeared more annoyed by all the noise and the fact I could have led these men to the apartment more than anything else. I finally slept on the couch. That is not even the end of this nightmare. The next day, around noon, I called my friend asking him to help me to try to search for anything they would have left behind. We met at the scene. I found my now empty wallet and he found a little satchel full of cocaine. I also found a dead crow. On my way back, I noticed a car similar to the one of last night in a street nearby. I wasn't moving, but the engine was on. I didn't care. It was bright daylight and I was going home to sleep. When I arrived in the parking lot of my grandma's place, I heard a car honking. I turned back. That same car I saw earlier. It was just parked in the middle of the empty road. The men were throwing me a killer look. Screeching tires and they were gone in a second. Now I was paranoid on top of it all. I walked to the doors, looked all around to see if anyone was watching me removed my name from the letterboxes and went inside. That night, I laid in bed with a butcher knife under my pillow. They had all the information about me. I was terrified. They would come back at night. They may hurt my grandmother. The next day, I headed back to my parents in the countryside. Again, this is not even the end. My mother found me a psychoanalysis near their home in a small village, so I went there. He started to ask me about my bad childhood. I'm not going to extend on this, though. I remembered I thought something was off when he started to say things like, God, your childhood was not easy at all, and personal remarks on my life. I thought it wasn't part of his job. This was the first red flag, but the worst happened after I told him what happened to me the other night. He told me that these people spread all the information about me all around town, that I was now their milking cow and their easy target, and if I showed up in town again, I should be very careful 
because they would know who I was. He added they probably assumed that we were a gay couple, and that's the reason he wanted to beat me up. Just before I left, he told me he would like to talk about the interesting way I dress and what I wanted to communicate with my different style. Which is funny, because I dress like Chandler in the first season of Friends. I was even more shocked and completely paranoid after that. For no reason, the town's bicycle agency refused to take the police report about the bike theft, so I had to pay the full penalty. Also, I had to buy another ID and repay all of my credit cards and the psychoanalysis bill. I ended up paying almost a thousand euros for everything. I lived recluse for two years at my parents in the countryside, feeling highly depressed. I felt no one could understand my distress, and no one would try to help me at the moment. I felt alone. What still disturbs me to this day is the fact that even after he mugged me and had all my possessions, he still wanted to beat me up only for sadistic pleasure. I'm so glad I have good legs. Now I often have PTSD when I try to sleep, and also a lot of anger and feeling of injustice inside. So, to that psycho bastard full of cocaine, the silent group around him and that twisted psychoanalysis that made me flip into paranoia, F you, and I hope I never meet you again. I apologize if that last story sounded a bit weird. English was not the author's first language. Please forgive the author. I've hesitated to share the story for a long time, because I know how important the mutual trust between a resident and their landlord and maintenance staff is, and I don't want to instill any unnecessary distrust in anyone's landlord. I've shared stories before about dangerous and scary residents I encountered while working at apartment complexes, but this is a story about my time on the other side of things as a renter. Before I had even graduated from high school, I knew I wanted to live at Paradise Apartments. I was a bit naive at the time drawn in by many amenities I would never use, but I primarily wanted to live there because the complex was pet-friendly and within my small budget. When the time eventually came for me to get my own place, I sublet the only apartment they had available and moved in. Unfortunately, I came to realize the apartment wasn't as nice as I'd originally thought. The building was old, but remodeled so it had all the typical plumbing issues and thin walls. I also learned it was not the safest part of town. I was primarily an online student, but I had one class that met in person twice a week around 8 a.m. I'm a bit of a homebody, so I rarely left during the day except for that class, the occasional shopping excursion, or to spend time with my boyfriend in the evening after he got off work. My apartment was a bit of a Bermuda Triangle, even though it was only 600 square feet and I lived alone. 
things had a way of growing legs and walking away. I had two kittens at the time and blamed them regularly for things disappearing. Something odd that kept reoccurring, however, was that I'd find my underwear box out and sitting in the center of my bedroom floor on days when I had class. I didn't have a proper dresser, instead using an Ikea shelf with some Ikea boxes for designated clothes. Socks, underwear, pants, pajamas. I always could have sworn I'd put the underwear box away after getting ready for class, but I chalked it up to me forgetting as a result of having to get up early and being focused on getting to class on time. Arguably paranoid, I started to think that some of my laundry was disappearing as well, as favorite articles of clothing would go into the laundry hamper and seemingly never come back with the clean clothes. Towards the end of that semester, I was working one evening on a homework assignment when my boyfriend called to let me know his roommate had accidentally locked him out of their apartment. I had a key to their place, so he asked if I could run over real quick to let him in. Before I left, I made a mental note that I had left literally every light in my apartment on. Because I was living on a pretty tight budget, I normally made a point of turning off all the lights when I left. But my boyfriend only lived about five minutes away, so I knew I'd be there and back very quickly. Sure enough, I got back less than 15 minutes later. I immediately sensed something was off, as I could see the lights were off through the blinds. I called my boyfriend and he drove over to meet me. We unlocked the door and went in. All the lights were off in my apartment. Thinking maybe I had a power outage, I flipped on the main light, and it came on. My boyfriend checked the entire apartment. No one was inside, but someone had gone through and systematically turned off every light at their switch, including my lizard's basking light, the only light I always left on because it was on a timer and my laptop which I'd left open on my assignment but now the computer had been powered down and closed we called the emergency maintenance number and I explained that someone has been inside my apartment and that they had to have had used a key because there is no sign of forced entry the manager called me back and told me I had to be imagining things maybe I had forgotten then I had turned off the lights before I left. I assured him that I wouldn't have turned off the computer or the lizard light. Someone had been in my apartment. I told him I was extremely worried, because obviously this person had a key to get in. Either way, they worked for the complex. Or maybe it was a previous tenant or guest. I asked if they had changed the locks after the previous tenant moved out, and they assured me they changed the locks after every move out. The manager suggested maybe it was a friend pranking me, someone else I had given a key to. The only other person I had given keys were my boyfriend. His key to my apartment had been locked inside his apartment on the same key ring as his own apartment key, and my mom. She lived three hours away. 
In any case, neither of them would have pranked me in this way. The manager finally agreed to send someone out immediately to change the lock, for my peace of mind. I brought up my concern that it was someone on the staff since they would be the only other person to have keys. The manager claimed the keys were locked in a special safe that required a personalized code to track who took the keys and when, and in office with a security camera. They changed my locks, but I had my doubts that it would do much. As far as I was aware, there were only two maintenance men that worked at the complex, one nice older man that didn't seem at all that skilled, and a younger guy with a scruffy beard that gave me a bad feeling. I suspected he had to be the one that had come in. When I had first moved in, the manager had told me I would be getting a new kitchen counter within the first three days. I waited to move in my kitchen stuff, but after a week, they hadn't come, and then after a few months, I had completely forgot about it. One day, I was sitting in my living room, and the scruffy maintenance guy walked in without knocking or announcing himself, and I hadn't received a notice to expect him. He said he was there to replace my countertop. It took him two days to install one small piece of counter. A few weeks later, I was getting out of the shower and heard a single knock at the door. I called out, just one minute, and hurried to get some clothes on. Not two seconds later, the door started to open and I had to slam it shut, still wrapped in a towel, to stop him from coming in. He claimed he hadn't heard me call out, but I had my doubts. I don't remember what made-up excuse he had for coming in. Another time, I found a note from him that he had come in. Again, it didn't give a reason as to why, but that he'd made sure not to let my cats out. He also made a note about my third cat being cute, except I didn't have a third cat. I did, however, have a picture of my childhood cat in my bedroom on the Ikea shelf where I kept my clothes. At that point, I went to the office to ask them to make a note in my file that I, A, wanted at least 24 hours notice before entry going forward, and B, wanted to always be present for future entry. Now that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that someone was coming in secretly, it all made sense. It hadn't been long after the surprise maintenance visit stopped that things had started moving around in my apartment. He was also on site all the time. Everyone on staff also lived at Paradise, so he would know when I came and went. Who knew how many times he had snuck in? How many small souvenirs he had stolen? He could have been coming in while I was asleep. After the night with the lights, I put my own lock on the door, but still didn't totally trust the apartment. I ended up buying a condo shortly after, with help from my parents, subleased the apartment, and moved. Right around that time, I also got my first job working in a different apartment complex. In the final days before I left, my mom came into town to help me move my stuff. While she was home alone, 
I was at class, she caught the scruffy maintenance man trying to get his key to work in my lock. She demanded to know what he was doing, and he said he was there to paint the front door. I hadn't received a notice, and he didn't have any paint or supplies. She told him he could wait until after I had moved out. A few years later, I was shot by the owner of Paradise Apartments while working at another complex in town, OK Apartments. Shopping is when an employee from one apartment complex takes a tour of another apartment complex under the guise of wanting an apartment for the purpose of gaining information they may not otherwise easily give up. It can also be performed by our own management company to make sure you're doing a good job. There were certain tales a shopper always gave, like asking specifically worded questions. Is it safe here? I'm a felon, can I live here? Etc. That required specifically worded answers and were easy to trip up on. Being too wealthy for the complex, Rolex watch, sports car, nice suit, etc. And being too flexible on what they were interested in i.e. they were interested in all the layouts and were open to move in whenever. This guy seemed too old and too well off to be randomly considering an apartment at OK. We were geared towards lower income folks. While I was giving the tour, he asked if I had any opinions on other apartment complexes in town and mentioned Paradise specifically. Normally, I wouldn't badmouth any other complexes. I preferred to win them over by showing them the positives of our community. But, I told him that I probably wasn't the best person to answer that question, because I was probably the only person to give Paradise a bad review in the last five years. He asked me to elaborate, and I told him my apartment had been broken into, and I suspected it was someone on their maintenance staff. At that point, he revealed that he was the owner of Paradise and that he was very disturbed to hear I'd had this experience. He asked me to describe the maintenance man in detail. I assured him it was in the past and I was over it, but he insisted on calling the manager over at Paradise, still the same guy, to ask him over speakerphone if they had any issues with the maintenance staff back in the year I had lived there. He answered yes. There had been a scruffy young maintenance man he had to fire because he'd been caught multiple times breaking into the apartments of single women. Satisfied, the owner proudly told me the issue had been resolved and asked if I would be willing to change my review. I told him no. None of this had changed the fact I'd experienced this and actually validated what I had suspected. In the years I worked as a leasing agent, I learned a lot about where complexes will cut corners to save time and money. From my experience, a lot of the complexes did not switch out the locks, if the tenant was good, and the lot did not require background checks for employees, even though they did require them for tenants. Keys also got passed out willy-nilly to vendors and maintenance during turns and employees frequently got master keys that would open all the doors. I won't go so far as to say every complex operates this way, but 
every complex I worked at was doing this when I started there. Because of my own experiences, once I began managing a complex, I enforced strict rules about changing locks, tracking keys, posting proper notices, and requiring background checks for all employees and tenants. At least here in Florida, with Maya's law going into effect this year, background checks for employees and security measures for keys are required for all complexes. Even still, if you're renting an apartment, stay diligent. If you have reason to believe someone is coming into your home, document it and let the staff, police, family, and friends know. You never know who might have a key to your apartment. Several years ago, I was in the midst of an acrimonious divorce from my then-husband. Full of crazy allegations and typical angry filings centered around custody of our child. As with many divorces, friends and professional colleagues seemed to pick one side or the other. In my case, there was one sort of professional contact who reached out to me after hearing about the divorce, who offered to be a witness for my case because of some experiences he related that I had been previously unaware of regarding my ex's behavior out at networking events. After this initial call, he started calling on a semi-regular basis to make sure I was okay. This wasn't someone I knew well prior to the separation, and he was much older than I was, but claimed to have experience with divorce and custody, and I figured it was a good idea to be polite and not alienate him, since his testimony was important, per my lawyer. I kept things friendly, but I always had a weird feeling about him. After a few months, he called one day that my son was very sick, and when I told him I couldn't talk and explained why, he offered to run to the store for me, which I honestly appreciated. But after that, he was dropping by the house uninvited, or he would stop by with cookies for my son, etc. Again, I kept telling myself to keep things polite. The divorce is coming soon. Don't make this guy mad. He had called me out of the blue, and I was worried at this point that I was walking a very fine line, being polite but clearly not interested, and that if he got mad, he might decide to go testify for my ex and say who knows what. During this time, he had also helped me set up a security cam system my dad had mailed me, and at one point, I needed someone to walk my dog, and he had offered to do it. He used and returned a spare key the same day. One evening, he showed up while I was painting and insisted on sticking around to help, even though I was having my starting over catharsis and wanted to do it alone. Just after the painting day, he came around, uninvited and unannounced, with magazine photos of decor and started carrying on in this manic way about how we could finish decorating the house. I was so weirded out that I made an excuse to leave, started ignoring his calls, and took my son and dog to stay with my parents for several weeks to avoid a drop-in. I came home just for custody exchanges. 
I came home a few weeks later, thinking he would have gotten the hint, and it was a quiet day. The following morning, I took my son on an outing, something like the zoo, and we both came back hot and tired. I put my kiddo down for a nap in my bed and decided to close my eyes with him. I woke up maybe an hour or so later, and it took me a moment to realize something was way off. As I'm blinking off the sleep, I realized there was a rose bush sitting on my bedside table that I most definitely had not put there. There was a post-it note on it, something about planting it in the yard. I started shaking immediately because I recognized the handwriting and stood up to go splash some water in my face and decided whether to call my parents or the police. I didn't want any trouble because of the divorce. As I stepped into my bathroom, I realized that the mirror was covered in post-it notes, all with super creepy messages that were intended as like love notes or with affection, but which all scared me. I was still waking up and trying to figure out how these notes could possibly have gotten into my house. My front door was definitely locked. But as I went from room to room, there were notes everywhere. I mean hundreds of post-it notes covering the walls in my cabinets. There was even one inside my coffee maker. I started grabbing all of them and putting them into a pile. When I got to one in the kitchen that made my blood run cold, it said, You're cute when you think no one is watching you. And I realized that there was a security camera pointed right where that note was left. The one he had helped me set up months earlier when I didn't think he was a psychopath. I called my parents in hysterics, sent them a bunch of photos, and my dad insisted I should not call police. Remember, custody battle. But that he would drive over and change the locks and put a chain on the door. We also immediately changed the passwords on the security cameras, which had been installed to document of my ex tried to break into the house, so there was one on the front porch, but three inside the house, including one in my bedroom. This man could apparently see and hear everything going on inside my house for months. The security cameras, I realized he had just paid attention to my passwords when I was setting up the system, but the only way I can figure out that he got into my house is that he must have made a copy of my house key the day he had it. And because my dog had gotten to know him, he wouldn't have barked to warn me, which also scared me. I was absolutely terrified. This man had been in my house for a long time. There's no way he could have put that many notes up quickly. And he was right next to my face and feet from my son while we were sleeping and somehow thought that was okay. I left and stayed with my parents again for a few days, afraid of what he was going to do when he realized that he was now both physically and digitally locked out of my house. When I came home, my son had gone to his dad's for the night and I was home alone, on the phone with another friend from out of town. At about 10 p.m., this man showed up at the door, pounding on it, 
trying the locks, screaming obscenities, and demanding to be let into his house. Gone were all the niceties. This was someone completely furious and derailed. All I could do was hide in my bedroom until he left, what felt like an hour later. This was St. Patrick's Day, so I'm sure he had been drinking. After that, there were several other times someone would start knocking on the door in the middle of the night, always when my son wasn't home. I think he was crazy, but not that crazy, and figured if I called the police, he would get in more trouble if my son was there, but he knew the schedule, so I know it was him. He tried reaching out using fake social media accounts several times, always getting blocked. Years later, I discovered that he had friended my mom on Facebook and was therefore still able to see all the photos of us that she posted or shared. And there was a huge argument when I saw she had left her computer logged in. A conversation they were having about me and how he could get back into my life. I sold that house two years later, still finding new notes even as I was packing. And I am more than relieved that he no longer knows where I live. I don't post photos of my new house online. Not the front, anyway and I have changed the privacy settings on my social media account. I avoid all the places he used to go, the networking events he attends, and I stay as under the radar as possible. I could never bring myself to play back the security camera videos because I was traumatized enough and didn't want to see just how much danger we could have been in. Hopefully he never sees this post, but... You know who you are. I hope our paths don't cross again. And just because I'm filling up to it, you're getting a bonus story. The story reads as follows. It all started about a month ago when a man started banging on my door at six at night, yelling for a Mike to come out, that he needs to see him and get cigarettes. I told him he had the wrong house and to leave. There has never been a Mike in the house. He got even more aggressive, calling me a liar and how he was going to come in and beat the skinny bitch you live with. I tried to call the non-emergency police line because I never called 911 before and they didn't pick up. Looking back, it was stupid, but it was instinct. After some more yelling, he leaves. I called my father, who was across town, to come home and what was going on and he showed up. He called 911 to file a report. The guy came back and started screaming at him. Cops were called again showed up an hour after the call and couldn't find him and told me to defend myself if it came to it. I ended up staying with a friend for the night because I didn't feel safe at home. I can be a strong person, but I don't think I can do much against a drugged-out man. What made that situation even scarier to me is that I was going through my driveway camera photos. It shows him walking up to my house hours before, and I had no clue. I have really bad anxiety, so the next few days were filled with paranoia and stress. 
but I managed to finally calm down and convince myself that was the end of it. Come that weekend, my father went on a trip with his girlfriend, so I was left alone for a couple of days. I had just put on a scary movie when I heard screaming again, and a loud bang. I pull up my camera and see that he is back pacing back and forth on the sidewalk and has thrown over our trash can, again screaming for Mike. I call 911 and they show up within minutes this time and are able to stop him down the street. They tell me there's nothing that can be done since he hasn't committed a crime yet, but if he comes back to call again and then they'll have more reason to hold him. Things were quiet for a few weeks. I again believed that was the end of it. Until today. This morning, my father and I got in an argument, so I wanted to take a walk to clear my mind. I went across the street to a park and sat by a tree watching cars pass by every now and then. Just beautiful morning weather. I noticed a truck driving down the left side of the park and turned to the street my back is facing. He waved as he passed, so I did too, thinking it was just a man going to work. I wanted to show I was okay. He then pulls off onto the right side of the park, stops, makes a U-turn, and comes back. Red flags instantly go off in my head, so I get up to start walking home. I look back and see he's turned off his headlights and is trailing me. I get to the front of my house and he slows. I get a better look at his face this time and it looks like the man harassing me. From the physical characteristics to his red baseball cap. He just glared at me like I took everything in his life away from him. I get to the door and try to barge in but my father put the chain on in anger of me walking out so I had to yell to him that I was being followed and to open the door. He opens it, and by then, the truck was gone down the street. I'm terrified to leave my home. I don't have a car to get anywhere quickly. I have a bike, but even now, I'm scared to do that. I don't know who that man is, or was, or what his intentions were, but I live in paranoia, always waiting and that concludes tonight's eight true let's not meet stories rest well and in the meantime I'll read to you soon good night
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.